Hey everybody, I'm excited to announce our Winter Connect group. These are great opportunities to connect deeper with God and other people. Most of them are offered on Wednesday nights when we also have our children and youth ministries. You're going to now hear a description of each group. Afterwards, pray about it. If you're still undecided, I encourage you to be a part of the Transformational Discipleship Group because this is one we encourage everybody in the church to at some point go through. Take it before the Lord. Make sure you sign up on the app. And if you have any questions, let us know. Hi, I'll be leading Transformational Discipleship, number one, and looking forward to us learning the, the truth of God's Word, the gospel uh, our identity in Christ, about the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives. It's going to be a time of us all growing together and helping us become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. I'll be doing a study on the book of Joel. It's a minor prophet with a major message. Joel sees the immediate, and God shows him the ultimate. And in it, we have the outpouring of the Spirit that Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost. So I'm excited. Teresa and I will be leading a women's prayer group where we don't just pray. We actually listen to the Lord, help each other to listen to the Lord, and share, get to know each other deeply below the surface, and share experiences and hopes and dreams and form lifelong friendships. I'm leading a group on understanding Islam so that we can better love our Muslim neighbors, both here in Athens and around the world. Um, my hope and prayer is that uh, by being in the class, that you'll both learn uh, more about Islam, but also be equipped um, to love Muslims whenever you encounter them. I'm going to be leading a class called Living in Digital Babylon. It's an exciting class. In today's society, we're slamming into things that are non-Christian. The, the values that we grew up in are disappearing before our very eyes. Our political leaders are saying and doing things that literally uh, try to eliminate uh, our Christian beliefs. We're going to study from several great authors, Erwin Lutzer, um, uh, Francis Schaeffer, many other authors, and we're, Chuck Colson is another one. We're going to pull them together, and we're going to see what the Scriptures say so that we'll know how to operate in today's environment as believers for Christ. Hi, Rachel Sims and I will be leading a group on Tuesday morning for women only, and we are so looking forward to this study from Priscilla Shirer, The Armor of God. Ephesians tells us, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Scripture will be used each week to learn about God's armor and ways as women we can be strong, we can be great examples in the world in which we live. Hi, my name is Jeff Peacock, and I'm here on behalf of the Young Adults Ministry. I just wanted to introduce our small groups. We have groups for both men and women throughout the week. We'd love to have you join us if you're between the ages of 20 and 35. We're focused on fellowship, community, and accountability. Women of Courage is a ladies' Bible study group for ladies of all ages. We're currently studying the Gospel of Mark using Precept Ministries' 40-minute Bible study series. We meet at 9.30 on Sunday mornings in the Generations Building, and we have room for any lady who would like to join us digging into God's Word and sharing the treasures of truth that are transforming our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Awesome. I don't know about you all, but I'm pumped about those classes. I wish I had all the time in the world I'd go to every single one of them. <laughs> I mean, they sound awesome. I, one of the things that I love about Living Hope is there's just some awesome, awesome uh, people who love God uh, in our midst and who are excited about making eternal investments in the lives of people. And so thanks to all of you who are leading those classes, I can't encourage you enough to get involved in one of them. Being a part of a small group was literally life-changing for me and continues to be. Three things happened in one of the first small groups I was ever a part of. First of all, I experienced fellowship and friendship unlike I had really ever experienced before. This was a year after coming to know Jesus. The second was a lot of habits and hang-ups and, and quite frankly, just sin in my life was rooted out because of being involved in that fellowship. And the third was that the Lord started to move in my life and started to reveal his vocational calling on my life, which just so happens to be ministry. Um, but man, powerful things can happen in small groups. And as far as I'm concerned, it's where a lot of the magic happens. So I would encourage you guys to get involved in one of those connect groups. I would also encourage you when you get a chance to check out the flyer that you were handed when you came in. There's lots of great things going on here at Living Hope that we're just thankful to the Lord for and lots of things for you to take advantage of, everything from events to different groups that are being offered to uh, different uh, activities you can take advantage of to grow in your walk with the Lord. Uh, so I encourage you to do that. I want to go ahead and dismiss the kids for Kids Church. Y'all have fun. We're so grateful for you. May the Lord bless you. And um, if y'all can remember to pray for Pastor Holt, who is recovering from knee replacement surgery. Uh, he said the first two weeks are going to be rough and, and pretty brutal. And he's texting me on a couple of days, and, and uh, it has been uh, as brutal as he was told it was going to be. So if you could be praying for him, that would be awesome. I just want to open up in prayer here by praying a scripture that came to mind as we were worshiping. You know, we were talking about the idea of, of peace, give you peace. We were talking about the idea of you being free indeed, right? Who the sun sets free is free indeed. And I thought of this passage, and I want to open in prayer by praying through this passage. Lord, I pray that your spirit, your spirit would be on every person in this Living Hope family. Lord, that you would anoint them to preach good news to the poor, that you would anoint them to bind up the brokenhearted just as you did, Lord, that you would anoint them to proclaim freedom for the captives and release for the, from uh, darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to, to, comfort, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them, Lord, would we be people who by you and for you and because of you Lord, would we be people who bestow on people crown of beauty instead of ashes, oil instead of gladness, instead of mourning, and, a, and a, a, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, Lord, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Lord, would we be oaks of righteousness and through evangelistic discipleship, Lord, would we, with your help, again, by your strength, by your empowerment, Lord, would we raise up oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of your splendor. Lord, would you speak to us now Lord, we say, speak, your servants are listening. I pray that our attitude here over the a remainder of the time we have together would be search us and know us, as David prayed. Know our anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Lord, we invite you to move and have your way. And as you've already been doing, would you continue to do it? And we pray these things, Lord, in your name. Amen. Um, so I'm, I'm Dustin Butler, by the way, for those of y'all that don't know me. I, I uh, uh, serve on part-time staff here. Uh, with Living Hope, and it's uh, just a privilege and an honor. Right off the top, I want to recommend this book. 
It is called the master plan of evangelism. And in my humble opinion, it is the, one of the best books you can read on uh, ministry methodology. If not the best outside of the Bible itself, this is a fantastic book. And the other thing that I love about it, if you're like me and have a hard time with books that are too long, this bad boy is short, and you can get through it real quick. And it's, not, uh, it's cookies on the bottom shelf, as I like to call it, meaning you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand it. It's very straightforward, very simple, but so powerful. And really what it does is it outlines the example of Jesus. So we're going to start off with a quote. As we talk about discipleship nuts and bolts today, we're going to start off with a quote from this book, from Master Plan Evangelism. It says this, and I want you to just think about this. As you think about the state of our country and the state of Christendom, I want you to think about this. It says, merely because we are busy or even skilled, doing something does not necessarily mean that we are getting anything accomplished. The question must always be asked, is it worth doing, and does it get the job done? This is a question that should be posed continually in relation to the evangelistic activity of the church. Are our efforts to keep things going fulfilling the great commission of Christ? Do we see, and then think about this with this question. Think not just of the corporate body of living hope, but think about your personal ministry as an individual, the ministry the Lord has called you to do because he has, by the way. And so think about your personal ministry with this next question. Do we see an ever-expanding company of dedicated people reaching the world with the gospel as a result of our ministry? That people, re- I'm sorry, that we are busy in the church trying to work one program of evangelism after another cannot be denied. But are we accomplishing our objective? Are we accomplishing our objective? And I would suggest to you that when we look around at the average family in our society today, when we look around our communities, when we look around at our country and even the world, I would suggest to you that the way that we have approached it over the past 50-ish years or maybe even more is not getting the job done. We are oftentimes pursuing addition where our hope is to just fill a room like this on a Sunday morning with people who come in and just play the part. They look, try to look right, do the right things, maybe drop a little money in the plate, look like they're worshiping wholeheartedly for a couple hours, and then the other six and a half days of a week, you would barely even know that they're a believer. But yet we're too easily pleased with just having people in seats. And may I suggest to you that the Lord's plan was very different, very different. He wanted multiplication. He wanted each of us to be involved in the activity of expanding his kingdom and spreading the gospel. Addition will not do it. I could reach 1,000 people a year for 50 years, and how many people would I reach? 50,000. And, and Pastor Hold has just shared some of this math. But just to reiterate it and drive it home, if I reach one person every two years, and then the two of us reach just one person more the next two years, and then the four of us reach just one person more the next two years, you would reach 33 and a half million people in 50 years. The math is obvious. It's obvious. Addition is so much, first of all, it's so much harder. I don't know about you, but when you think about reaching 1,000 people a year, I get pretty overwhelmed. And I guarantee you there hasn't been one year in my life where I've done it, not one. But I can think about reaching one person every couple years. I can wrap my mind around that. That seems, by God's grace and with his strength, I could probably, for his glory, pull that off. And I just think about scriptures like this. See, this is what God called us to. He didn't call us to just Sunday for a couple hours be showing that we're Christians to the world or acting like a Christian. He called us to Luke 9, 23 through 26. That says, and he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple 
must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And then think about this part when you think about what Pastor Holt said last week out of 2 Timothy 2.4, where he said, where he talked about how disciples do not get entangled in civilian affairs. Do you remember him talking about that? Think about this next verse in light of that. Verse 24 out of Luke 9. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very souls or their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the Holy Angel. He called us to lay down every aspect of our lives to live for him and to make eternal impact in the world. I think of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. He called us to go. This is, by the way, please know this is for every single one of us. Every single one of us. This wasn't just for the disciples. This is for every single person in this room today. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you to do. And how do we do it? He says, Lord, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Jesus gives us the strength to do it. He gives us the ability to do it, which we're in a moment going to talk about some obstacles that keep us from doing it. And one of it is feeling inadequate. But Jesus said, I will be with you. I will give you what you need. I will speak through you. And then there's what I call the, the reiteration of the Great Commission by Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, where he says, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. And so that is what God wants for us. He wants all of us, all of us involved in the Great Commission. He wants all of us investing in others eternally. So why don't we do this more? What, what, are, what are three of the main obstacles that we see? Three of the main obstacles that keep us from what I call evangelistic discipleship, or the, uh, Kristen Richardson reached out to me this week with, they, they call it DICE, discipleship in the context of evangelism. In other words, I want to just say this right up front, it's not discipleship or evangelism. It's not an either or thing, it's both and. So as we're discipling, we're also evangelizing. As we're evangelizing, we're discipling, okay? So let's be doing both at the same time. After all, if you're discipling someone, one of the key things you want to teach them is to reach out to other people, to share Christ with other people. So three main obstacles. One is that they feel inadequate or unqualified. One of the questions that people have been asking over the past couple weeks, Pastor Holder shared with me, is I don't feel qualified, what do I do? Well, let me say this. There's, you're in good company. There was this guy named Moses in the Old Testament, and he felt fairly unqualified. He kept saying, why me? What if they don't believe in me? I'm not a very good speaker. What should I do? And how gracious of the Lord, by the way, to give Aaron. He gives Aaron, his brother, and, and they go together, which, by the way, is an answer to another question that people have been asking. Do I do just discipleship one-on-one? -on -one? Like, is it, is it just me and chance, to use chance as an example? Is it just me and chance doing discipleship together? Well, it can be. It certainly can be. And I would encourage that. But it could also be, uh, to use chance in, in a different way, it could be me and chance reaching out to two or three or four other people. We can do it together. We can do it one-on-one. -on -one. We can do it two-on-two. -two. We can do it in small groups. Again, this is, it's, it's a both and. It's not an either or. And so Moses graciously gave Aaron. Graciously gave Aaron. And then in Timothy, Timothy, young Tim and Timothy was feeling like, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. Well, let me share with you some of my favorite verses that should speak to you directly, Lord willing, and should just encourage you immensely if you're feeling this way. 
One is Matthew 9, 36 through 38. Matthew 9, 36 through 38. And it says this. It says Jesus was looking out at the crowds, and it says he had compassion for them. It says because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, or in other translations it says laborers, are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers or laborers into the harvest field. And I've been on staff now with the the Navigators. That's my full-time vocation, is doing vocational ministry with the Navigators. And for the first couple of years, we would go to this training. And this, uh, the, the guy who was kind of in charge of the, our training for the first couple of years had this low, booming voice that just drew you in and got your attention. And he would say, you know what laborers are? They're common field hands. Common field hands. And then he'd look you straight in the eye and he'd say, so if you feel common, guess what? You're exactly what the Lord is looking for. And so he can use you. He can use you. And that touches me because, I, you know, I, I so often feel inadequate. I've been doing this for 14 years professionally, <laughs> which is kind of a joke when you think about it. But it's like, man, the, it's like the Lord can use someone as common as me. Again, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be a nuclear physicist. As we'll hear a quote from John Piper in here in just a, a little bit, you just have to know a few simple, unchanging, majestic things and be willing to live and die for them. That's what you need to know. Another one of my favorite verses on this topic is 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31, which says this. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? So that no one may boast before him. And then it goes on to say in verse 31, therefore as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Guess what? If you feel unqualified or inadequate, you are in a perfect position to be used by the Lord because the Lord wants everyone to know it's about him anyway. It's about him anyway. So we're not gonna boast in ourselves or our own ability We want to boast in the Lord and put him on display. And so if you're feeling weak, you are not unqualified. If you're you're feeling inadequate, the Lord can strengthen you. And then the last verse that I love is uh, Acts 4.13. And what I love about Acts 4.13 is the disciples have just stood up boldly and, and said in front of a big watching crowd, look, this is the Jesus that we're talking about. This is why we do these things. We do these things in his name. You need to come to know him. And it talks about how people, after they got done talking, noticed that they were untrained, ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus. That's the qualification you need. That's what you need is to be with Jesus. You be with Jesus, then you got it. You could be untrained and ordinary, but the Lord will empower you. The other thing I just want to say with this is beware of lies from the enemy. And, and I can't unpack this fully. It's a whole sermon in itself, really. Maybe even a series of sermons. But there's so many lies the Lord wants, or I'm sorry, the enemy wants to feed you that the Lord does not want you to believe. For example, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not funny enough. You're not a good enough people person. What, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But it's the enemy who wants you to be bound up by lies. It's the Lord who wants you to be freed up by believing the truth, to boldly advance the gospel 
through evangelism and discipleship. And so don't believe the enemy's lies. A guy passed on to me at one point in time that fear is false emotions appearing real. When the Lord wants you to do something, you know he wants you to do it, and you're feeling scared, you can bet that fear is from the enemy. You can take it to the bank because he wants you to seize up in fear and not move forward. All right, number two, and I won't spend too much time on this, but just the reiteration of the fact that one obstacle is we're too entangled in civilian affairs for 2 Timothy 2.4. Too entangled in civilian affairs. And the one thing I do just want to say about this real quick is often the good can be the enemy of the best. Here's what I mean. There are a lot of things on this earth and in this world that we give our lives to that are not inherently bad. But when they take up all of the extra time we have and we no longer have time to make eternal investments in the lives of people, they do become a bad thing. And, and at best, it's the good being the enemy of the best. So what are some examples? Well, some examples could be sporting events, endless sporting events. Maybe you feel like you spend every week driving around from field to field and place to place, and you can barely keep your eyes open because you're so tired because you've been escorting your kids or other people's kids or whatever to every sporting event there is out there. Maybe the Lord wants you to cut back. Maybe. I'm not saying that's from the Lord, but if it is from the Lord, maybe he does. Maybe it's work or academic activities. Maybe that raise is not worth it. When you think about the time it's going to take up and how it's going to eat up time to make eternal impacts, maybe that raise really isn't worth it. And maybe a B is okay instead of an A, so that you could take an hour and a half a week or a couple hours every week to invest in someone eternally. Participation in too many organizations. Here's a big one these days, video games. Video games. You guys know that the video game industry brings in more money than Hollywood and the pornography industry combined every year? They bring in more money. And I used to feel like I would have to say, watch out for video games to like 16-year-olds. But there's 40-year-olds that are spending hours every week playing video games. It's crazy. And so let's put down the video games. And let's take some time instead to invest eternally in the lives of people. But maybe it's not, maybe you have done everything you can to trim down the schedule. And you're saying, man, I don't know what else I could take out of my schedule, but it's still busy. I have six kids. You know, life is not, they all have different things going on. We have our work responsibilities. We have all these things and life is still busy. Well, then my recommendation to you would be to ask God, is there any way I can be more strategic? More strategic. Here's what I mean. If you have a project at the house that you have to do, invite someone that you're investing in spiritually to come do that project at the house. If you have, you know, five sporting events you have to get to every week, take someone with you. Take someone you're investing in along with you to sporting events. Take them to the grocery store. Uh, whatever the case may be, if it's just, hey, look, you can share dinner with my family. We have to eat. Everyone has to eat, by the way, right? Everyone. Now, more and more these days, we're eating on the move, but a lot of people get lunch breaks. So for those of you that are working, right, you might get a lunch break. Ask a person at work to go get lunch and then slowly just start to, to, to season the conversation with spiritual things, spiritual things. But be strategic. If your time is literally that full and there's nothing you can cut out of your life, then be strategic and invite people into those things with you. Listen, people follow, this is a quote that has challenged me time and time again. People follow, give themselves to, and trust in whatever they believe will give them life. People follow, give themselves to, and trust in whatever they believe will give them life. Another, what, and another way of saying this is people vote with their feet. 
If you want to know what's important to someone, pay attention to where they're at. Pay attention to how they're spending their time. And I would encourage you to not get so entangled in civilian affairs that you don't have the time to invest in people eternally. Okay, the third is this. They, they have no one holding them accountable to it. They lack accountability. We need accountability in every area of our lives, and this is no exception. I can't tell you how many people I've seen go out of the gate fast. They're discipling people, and I've seen this a lot in college students. I spent 14 years doing college ministry, and I would see this a lot in college students. They start out of the gate fast. Then life gets hard. It gets busy. They have to persevere through some difficult things, and they kind of fade, and before you know it, they've lost the, the sight of this 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. They've lost sight of the Great Commission, and, and one of the biggest things is they don't have anyone calling them back to it. They don't have anyone holding them accountable. So I would challenge all of you to, keep, to ask someone to keep you accountable, keep you accountable. And to use an illustration, we, I, I think of it in terms of a baton. So we, we illustrate it this way in Nobleman, a baton. And if you think about the idea of running the race, Paul talks about running the race in such a way as to win the prize. Well, part of running the, way, the race, uh, I would suggest to you, is passing on your life in Christ to others. Being John the Baptist's, showing people Jesus. And so, if this baton represents your life in Christ and your walk with the Lord, then I would encourage you, first of all, to have someone who's passing the baton to you. In other words, find someone who will disciple you. And if you don't have someone, go find them. Go find them. Go ask them, all right? So in every season of your life, have someone who's discipling you, but then in every season of your life, have someone you are discipling. So for, and I would encourage you as much as you can to have one believer and one, one person who does not know Jesus yet that hopefully will, if you can. Now, there will be seasons where that will be tough, okay? So don't, we're not trying to get legalistic here. We're not trying to be perfect or, uh, you know, promote a works-based approach to, to our relationship with Jesus here. So give yourself in, uh, some grace in busy seasons, but as much as possible, have someone pan, passing the baton to you, investing in you, and have someone you're investing in. So I invest in Brian, and I give Brian the baton. I've been, I've been discipling Brian, and I say, Brian, it's your turn to take this baton. And guess what? You're passing batons for the rest of your life, which is where the illustration breaks down a little bit. If you think of a relay race, you're not done after you pass it. You get more batons, and you keep passing more batons, more batons, and now Brian's passing on more batons. He's passing on Christ. He's helping people grow in their walk with the Lord, and you keep going and keep going and keep going. So think of yourself as passing on your life in Christ a baton on to others, all right? And ask someone, ask someone today, I want you to hold me accountable. And, and ideally, it's the person who's discipling you. But ask someone, I want you to hold me accountable in making sure I always have someone who's investing in me and someone that I'm investing in. I want you to hold me accountable. Okay, so let's say you've, you're ready. You're like, hey, I'm ready to overcome these obstacles. I want to put them before the Lord. I want to hand them over to him, and I want to step forward with his strength and his confidence. So how do you do evangelism and discipleship or evangelistic discipleship? Well, six key ways, six key ways. Number one is this, ask someone to disciple you. We just got done talking about it a little bit. I just want to say one more thing about this point. I would love for there to be an atmosphere of initiation in living hope. In other words, don't wait for someone to come to you. Don't wait. Go find that person. So if I see Brian and I realize, Brian, man, there's some things I respect about Brian's life. I appreciate how he lives his life. He really seems to honor God. I want to grow in my walk with the Lord. 
and I think he can help me. So I go ask Brian. I say, Brian, will you, would, is there any way you could get coffee with me? Is there any, any way that you would consider discipling me? But here's what I would encourage. Not only spiritually young to spiritually old, I would also incur, incur, uh, encourage those of you that are spiritually more mature or spiritually older to initiate with those who are younger, those who are younger. A lot of people are sitting on a lot of wisdom in this room, y'all. And a lot of years of walking with God, they have a lot to offer. And if you're one of those people, man, initiate with those who are spiritually younger. But those of you who are spiritually younger, don't wait for them. (laughs) Don't wait for them. Beat them to it if you can. Beat them to it. Let's be initiating and fine. And, And you know what? To do that, you have to have a teachable heart, a humble, teachable heart that says, you know what? Maybe I don't know everything. And you know what? Maybe I'm willing to let Brian see that I don't have it all together. I have some areas in my life where I think he could really help me by God's grace. And so you got to be teachable and humble, but let's initiate with one another. The second thing is this, resolve to invest in a few and bless the masses. Resolve to invest in a few and bless the masses. There's a quote up here from another one from Master Plan Evangelism that we'll read. It says this, Jesus' plan of reproducing disciples, what, listen to this, was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with men and women whom the multitudes would follow. Men and women were to be his method of winning the world to God. The initial objective of Jesus' plan was to enlist men and women who could bear witness to his life and carry on his work after he returned to the Father. If we are to be like Jesus, we must invest our lives in faithful men and women who will reproduce themselves in others. It's investing in the few. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19 is when Jesus went up to pray. And he was asking the Lord, Lord, who, who do you want me to select as far as pursuing, uh, uh, discipling them? Who do you want me to select? And then, of course, the 12 are impressed upon his heart. And so he invites them, by the way, which we're going to talk about more in just a minute, to be with him. He invites them to be with him. This implies, though, by the way, that Jesus was selective. Now, he wasn't selective based on who's more valuable, who has you know, who has uh, better gifts, who has, you know, who, who's a stud and who's not. It was, it was selective based on their heart. And most importantly, selective based on, God, who are you putting on my heart? Who are you leading me to initiate with? But Jesus had to be selective. He knew, and listen to this, this is, this is so, I can't tell you how much I believe in this. Jesus knew that a devoted few would have far greater impact than a loosely connected mass of followers. He knew that a devoted few would have far greater impact than a loosely connected mass of followers. And in my opinion, y'all, that is our problem today. We are too easily satisfied with a room like this being full of loosely connected followers. And what we need is we need a few wholehearted men and women that are men and women after God's own heart that do whatever he asks you to do. That's what we need. That's what we need. He took these 12 with him wherever he went, wherever he went. Okay, the third thing is to ask God to guide you in selecting someone who's fat. Ask God to help you select someone who's fat. Fat meaning faithful, available, teachable. Pastor Holt has talked about this a little bit. I just want to mention briefly, how do you know? How do you know if someone's faithful, available, teachable? Well, in the area of faithfulness, as you look at someone or as you're attempting to invest in someone, 
answer these questions related to that person. Do they show up when they say they're going to show up? Are there yeses, yeses, to use a a biblical phrase? In other words, when they say they're going to do something, do they do it? Do they carry out long-term commitments? Long-term, people who are faithful last for the long haul. And by the way, y'all, discipleship is a long-range game. It's, it's, it's for the long haul. You don't disciple someone in six weeks and then send them off and hope they're going to do well. That's, that's a recipe for, for uh, danger, honestly, in a lot of ways. But you disciple them for the long haul. So are they in it for the long haul? Do they persevere and not quit when things get hard? And let me just say, and this is a bonus for you guys. This, that, that, just feel like I was hit with this. Actually, I was sitting down here. Discipleship will not be easy. For so many people, it will not be easy. Evangelism will not be easy. It takes people who are going to persevere and who are going to last for the long haul. You must be ready. Jesus did not promise us an easy life. Now, tell you, trust me, when I, before I walked with the Lord, I was kind of hoping that walking with the Lord would result in money and, and, a, and, a, and a huge house and Maseratis and um, all these different things, that, that I, and I totally did not get it. I was missing it. I was missing. But what he does promise is to, by the way, never disappoint you. Isaiah 49, 23 is one of my favorite verses. And those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. That's the kind of prosperity he wants to bring you, is is prosperity and contentment and and, and fulfillment at a soul level that has nothing to do with Maseratis and mansions and money. (laughs) All right? So faithful. How to determine if someone is available? Do they have time for God and for you? Do they have time for you? When there's an opportunity for growth, do they show up? Do they show up when there's an opportunity for them to grow closer to the Lord? When there's an opportunity to serve and minister, do they show up? And how do you determine if someone's teachable? When God challenges them, do they respond? Do they respond? Are they prideful or do they have humility? Do they seek out godly wisdom or do they habitually walk in foolish ways? These are some things to think about when you're trying to determine if someone's teachable. Now, let me mention some very important disclaimers. And and one is this. You're not looking for perfection. Because newsflash, you're not perfect. (laughs) So perfection is not uh, the bar that we're asking people to step up to. That's not it. But you're looking for seeds. Do I see seeds of faithfulness? Do I see seeds of availability? Do I see seeds of teachability? Yeah, they may not be perfect across the board in these areas, but do I see someone who wants to grow in these areas. Another one is you're also not making value or worth assessments on individuals. It's very important. So in other words, if I don't sense that the Lord is leading me to invest in Brian, it's not because Brian is, uh, has, is not as valuable as he should be or is worthless or um, I just don't see him as a, a guy that I like or whatever. Lord willing, this is a God-led decision that God has just said, it's not the season for Brian. It's not the season. I have different plans for him right now. He has all the worth and value that you do, but this is not the person for you in this season. You're just trying to objectively assess the state of someone's heart. The state is where is their heart, as objectively as possible. Okay, the next one is the with him, with her principle. The with him, with her principle is a principle that's passed on to me by the navigators. Again, looking back at Mark 3.14, it said Jesus called the disciples to be with him. The point is this. If you want to disciple someone, that someone needs to be with you somewhat often. Okay? 
Now, the disciples, when it was with Jesus, they were with Jesus 24-7, all day, every day. And some people, I've heard of people that actually invite people to live into their houses, in their house for this purpose. And these aren't people who are in ministry. These are people who are just inviting people to live in their house so they can reach out to them, pour out to them, invest in them, and they actually have people live in. And maybe that's something that the Lord would lead you to. But bare minimum, try to get with them once a week, once every other week, spend an hour and a half, couple hours together, and do life together, and let them see different aspects of your life. Let them see you do evangelism. Let them see you interacting with your kids and your family. Let them see you build a wall in, in your backyard um, and, and see how you do that. See how you serve your family and, and see how you love on your kids in, in that way. And then oh, as you're doing it, talk about Jesus all along the way. The phrases with him and followed him are used at least 39 times in the Gospels, which means it's important. <laughs> the Lord is trying to drive home the fact that he wanted us to have people who were with us just as he had people who were with him. One of my favorite verses on this idea is 1 Thessalonians 2.8, which says, we loved you so much that we desired to share not just the gospel of God with you, but also our lives as well. Ideally, someone you're investing in is someone that you're going to want to watch the occasional football game with. It's someone you're gonna, you might want to take a road trip with. It's someone that you won't, won't mind having over to dinner with your family or dinner with your, uh, the people that you live with in your house or whatever the case may be. You want to do these things together. Three quick examples uh, that, I, that I thought of. Actually, I'll mention two. One is uh, Shannon. So Shannon and Brandon Byers were hanging out one day. They're working on Shannon's farm. And all of a sudden, Shannon's on the tractor. Brandon's doing whatever he was doing. And all of a sudden, a fire erupts. And literally, his, his property just starts to burn. Brandon, though, his, the most vivid memory he has of this whole thing is he looks over to Shannon. And what does he see Shannon doing? He sees Shannon praying and praising God in the midst of it all. Here his farm is burning. Chaos is literally erupting around him. And Shannon is praying and praising God. Now let me tell you something. He, Shannon could have told Brandon about this over coffee at a coffee shop. He could have told Brandon about this in a sermon. Brandon could be sitting here. Shannon said, but I guarantee you the point, that the things that Brandon learned in seeing that were no better taught and perhaps best taught by seeing it in person, being on the farm, watching the fire erupt, and watching Shannon react. That was how that lesson was best taught. And Brandon shares that over and over and over again. He shares that story. And so, man, what impact from, because Shannon and Brandon were taking the time to be with one another. The other one I'll share is I, I was invited, I referred to building a wall in the backyard. I was uh, invited to come down and see the Navigator Ministry at the University of Arizona. So I go down and within literally, this, I'm considering coming on staff, but I'm just visiting. I'm not even there long term yet. I get off the plane and within a few hours, the guy who would eventually be my campus director, the guy who would train me locally and one of my best friends in all of life now, and one of the first guys to disciple me, his name was Bryce. And within hours, he had me working on a wall in his backyard. And I thought, I flew from Pennsylvania to Arizona to work on a wall in the backyard. I was like, now, thankfully, the Lord was with me. It was one of my better moments. And I was like, okay, great. I'll work, work on a wall in the backyard. In that time of working on a wall in the backyard, he proceeds to tell me about this story that he uses to share the gospel. It's a fictitious story where he involves people in the room. If I had time, I'd tell it to you. But he told it to me while we were working together on this wall, and I have never forgotten that story. Even if I wouldn't have gone on staff, I would have this story of the gospel 
where, that is interactive and fun and really draws in non-believers. And we did it while he was working on a wall in his backyard and invited me to do it. And so we were doing life together. We were doing life together. All right. The next one is model what it looks like to live an obedient Christian life. We just talked about that, so I won't expound on that further, but model what it looks like to live an obedient Christian life, but then teach it, and then, this is the important part, call those you are discipling to it. They're all important, actually, but drive it home by calling those that you're discipling to do it. Call them to it. Give them the heart, the vision, and the know-how. Heart, vision, and know-how. Now, I can't unpack that fully here this morning, but I do want to say this is where materials come in. So a lot of people have been asking, well, what do I go through? What do I do? What do I take people through? Well, if you go to the next slide, this came from 10 minutes of me just as I was sitting preparing, thinking of what I do with some of the folks that I disciple. And there's probably 20 different topics up there, starting with the gospel. Not just do they know the gospel, but can they share it? Can they share it with somebody else? That could take a couple months in and of itself. Then you've got Christ being the center of your life, abiding in Christ. Skipping a few, you've got glorifying God in all you do. You've got identity in Christ. You've got the nations and missions. You've got suffering and perseverance. You've got spiritual gifts. Have you ever been discipled in the spiritual gifts? People teaching you about prophecy. We've got some people who are gifted in prophecy. And, and what would it look like to learn from them? To sit with them be like, if, if you don't feel strong in it, teach me how, how I can grow in this. How I can grow in this. And then if you go to the next slide... These are things that are opportunities for discipleship right here at Living Hope. So there's Discovery Bible Studies. There's Right Now Media, which, by the way, if you just went through Right Now Media, you would spend a lifetime discipling someone because they have libraries, literally libraries of things you could go through. The, the point I'm trying to drive home is, is there's no shortage of materials. By God's grace, we live in a, in a society where we have so much access to materials. It's, it's really, like, pretty easy in terms of what to do, okay? Um, Men's and women's discipleship groups, Pastor David's books, transformational discipleship is something we'd like, as Pastor Holt said in the video, we'd like to see everyone go through. But bare minimum, think of this. When you're with something, someone and you, are, you have initiated with them, you're beginning discipleship with them, bare minimum, one of the easiest things you can remember is life word prayer. Life word prayer. In other words, ask them what's going on in their life. What are the hard, the hard things? What are the good things? How can I come alongside you with some of these things that are going on in your life? Word. Let's get in the Word together. Let's study a book of the Bible together. Let's um, learn how to do quiet times together. And, and let's do it every time. Every time we come together, let's get some time in the Word. And then prayer. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray for those we're reaching out to. Let's pray for the nations. Let's pray for people like the Richardsons and others that we know are already going to the nations. Let's pray. Life Word Prayer is a very easy one that you can remember when you're meeting with people. And throughout all of these, listen to this, this is very important. Throughout all of these, you want to be teaching them to go to Jesus and not you. Teach them to go to Jesus and not you. Because make no mistake about it, you're not trying to be the little junior Holy Spirit for these people, okay? No one needs a junior Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can do everything that he needs to do on his own, okay? He doesn't need any help, all right? So you want to be pointing them to Jesus to get guidance, to get direction from Jesus. After all, if someone's faith, and this is another problem we have today, actually. If someone's faith is dependent on a person, when that person stumbles and falls, which some inevitably do, and they're placing all their faith in that person, their faith will then crumble. And so you must be teaching these people to go to Jesus. John the Baptist, he was said, what's your name? What's your name? 
And he didn't even answer that question, by the way. If you go look in John, the story of John the Baptist, people are confronting, what's your name, what's your name? He didn't answer it. He said, I'm a voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way for the Lord. He said, there's one coming whose sandals I'm unworthy to even untie. And so in discipleship and evangelism, you're pointing people to Jesus. Pointing people to Jesus. The last thing is this, lovingly challenge them and expect them to reproduce. By the way, the theme of reproduction, both physically and spiritually, is all over the place in the Bible. It's all over the place if you look for it. It's everywhere. But encourage them to reproduce. Expect it. And do it from day one. From day one, say, I'm meeting with you and sharing these things with you so that someday you can turn around and share it with others. And by the way, I'm praying that day will come soon. And then the next time you get together, just a reminder, I'm doing these things with you so that you can turn around and do it with somebody else. Next time you get together... So we're doing this so that, um, you know, the prayer is that you're going to turn around someday and do this with, with others. So be sure you, 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 you keep track of all this so you can turn around and do it with somebody else. Which, by the way, is the best way to learn discipleship and the easiest way is to be discipled. Then take what you've learned, keep it in a notebook. And I would encourage you to even, this is a very practical thing, make a notebook for whoever you're discipling. Have them keep everything in it. And then when they go to disciple somebody else, it's like, what do I do? Oh, right. I've got my notebook from when I was discipled. And we could just walk through the notebook. We can walk through the notebook. All right. I want to close by sharing a quote from John Piper, and he said this. You don't have to know a lot of things in order to make a huge difference for the Lord in the world. This was in a sermon called, You Have One Life, Don't Waste It. He said, but you do need to know a few things that are great and be willing to live for them and die for them. People that make a difference in the world are not people who have mastered a lot of things. They are people who have been mastered by a very few things that are very, very great. He goes on to say, if you want your life to count, you don't have to have a high IQ. You don't have to have a high EQ. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have good looks. You don't have to be from a good family or from a good school. He says, you just have to know a few basic, simple, glorious, majestic, obvious, eternal, unchanging things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay down your life for them. And he goes on to say this, and I say this to you all, which is why anybody in this room, anybody in this room, can have a, make a worldwide difference. You can make a worldwide difference. Because it isn't you, it's what you're gripped with. It's what you're gripped with. And someday, I hope, when I meet the Lord, if we go to the next slide, when I meet the Lord someday, I'll, uh, I'll realize, um, if you can hit the picture on the next slide, if that'll, will that come up? Yes, by God's grace, I'll stand before the throne someday. This is my prayer. And honestly, I, I mean, I, I hope it's like I, I meet these people that by God's grace I've impacted that I don't even know are there. But honestly, I'd be happy to have like a, a quarter of these people. You know what I'm saying? My, my father-in-law who's been discipling people for years, he does full-time ministry, also with the Navigators, he, um, he says my prayer is for 30. If I have 30 guys in my entire life that are wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus, that's a win. That's a win. And so, but anyway, this guy was a, uh, is a pa pastor in India. Paul, the guy in front, he invested in Timothys that were behind him. Those Timothys invested in faithful men who are behind him, and they invested in others who are behind him. And so these are the spiritual generations that have come from the one guy's life, by God's grace. And really, it's God doing the work. It's God doing the work. So with that said, we have a couple of minutes for questions if anybody has some. Would love to take any questions you might have. You can text them to this number. Um,
Someone said but in the early service, and I thought this was right on, a discipleship is like a spiritual apprenticeship. Meaning, when somebody does an apprenticeship when they work, they learn a trade. Like maybe someone is an apprentice in the area of a, a being an electrician. So they learn how to do electrical work. And they learn the job so that they can go and do the job themselves. Well, discipleship is the spiritual equivalent of that. It's a spiritual apprenticeship. I thought that was a really good, good comment. Yeah. Hey, Dustin. Yeah, um, not a question so much, but I did want to affirm what you were saying about having um, a spirit of initiative. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm, I'm naturally a very um, introverted person, and uh, I'm not inclined to want to reach out to anyone. And uh, in, um, But I found that when I do, I realize that you know that's what the other people are feeling as well. Mm. Nobody is feeling like they have everything all together. Yeah. And um, it is very much almost like asking somebody out on a date. Yeah. But you just. <laughs> but in the end, yeah. it's so rewarding. Yeah. And life-giving to do it. So mm. I just want to encourage everybody to try to push beyond. Uh, if you're an introverted person, to, mm. to do it anyway. Mm. Do it scared, as you might say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, thanks for sharing that, Brian. And just to affirm you, so Brian happens to be a, a very good friend of mine, and I've seen, Brian, you do it scared, so I commend you. And uh, if, you're, if you resonate with him, and you're like, man, I, I, I'm, I do feel scared, I do feel nervous, then go ask Brian to help you. Brian has walked into it. He's done it scared. I'm sure it hasn't looked pretty every time, but in the end, he's been deeply blessed. So here's a great example. I'm scared. I'm feeling, I'm feeling like they're going to think that I'm an idiot or I'm, I'm dumb or I don't, I don't know anything. Well, go ask Brian to help you learn even how to initiate. It's amazing to me, by the way, how many people cannot give, how many adults cannot look someone in the eye, shake a hand and say, my name is Dustin, nice to meet you. That's discipleship, teaching someone how to shake a hand, teaching someone how to have a conversation, by the way, which people in large part, I think, because of technology, can't even hold a conversation these days. So discipling someone on how to... Holy conversation, all of that flowing from Brian has walked into doing it scared, and if you're looking for some help and some advice, I'd encourage you to initiate with Brian. Any other questions or comments? I love them and welcome them. If not, I've got a bonus story. It's a really cool story. It's a true story, by the way. But if you have any questions, none? Okay, so here's the story. You ready? This is a true story. So there's a guy by the name of Steve Lammers. He was a freshman in college in the Midwest. This was several years ago. He learned this. He was like, man, I see Jesus doing this. I want to serve Jesus. I want to be an ambassador for him. I want to carry out the Great Commission. So as a freshman in college, he decides, I just want to invest in one person. I get choked up every time I tell this story because it, it, man, it's, it, it's the vision. It's the vision. But anyway, he says, I'm going to reach out to my friend named Bill. So he reached out to his friend named Bill. By God's grace, he comes to know Jesus. So Steve invests in Bill. They get into the word together. They start memorizing scripture together. They're praying together. They're talking about life. They're entering into all these different things. And Bill, by God's grace, is growing. So he says, hey, Bill, can you think of just one friend who you think would want to hear this? And Bill says, yeah, yeah, my, my friend named Bob. He's like, okay, well, let's go share this with Bob. So Bill and Steve go share it with Bob. And by God's grace, Bob comes to know Jesus. They start growing. They start getting in the Word together. They start memorizing Scripture. They start praying. They start doing evangelism. They start doing all these different things, and they're growing together. One of the things they would do at least once a month is they would put a map out, and they would pray for the nations together. They'd get together. They would just pray 
for the nations, which that is going to come, that's going to, you'll figure out how that plays in toward the end. Um, but by the way, that's a great thing to do in discipleship as a, as a pause from the story is pray for the nations. Just pray for the nations. But anyway, so they're growing. Then it gets to Bob. He says, Bob, uh, do you have anyone that you think you could share this with? And he's like, yeah, my friend, my friend Jack, he seems like he'd be hungry. And he's like, okay. So he goes and shares with Jack. Sure enough, Jack comes to know the Lord. Same thing. They grow. They're having a blast, having a ball. One day, they're supposed to get together, and Steve doesn't show up. And they're surprised because Steve, it's like clockwork with Steve. He's faithful. He's there. He's on time. And so it's like, man, what's, what's going on with Steve? And so they're trying to figure out where he's at. They decide they better go to his room. They go to his room, and outside of Steve's room, all of the people from the ministry that they were a part of are gathered, and everyone's just weeping. And they find out, guys, true story, that he had died as a sophomore in college from a brain aneurysm. He died in his sleep. Boom, just like that. What's amazing about this story is Bill, Bob, and Jack all went on to continue on this vision of evangelistic discipleship. Bill just so happened to go on staff with the Navigators. He's the senior vice president of the Navigators now. And by God's grace, thousands of people have come to Christ as he has invested in other people. And then Bob went on to be a pastor of a church. And same thing, thousands of people have come to know Jesus and have gone to the nations because of the investment that Steve made in their lives as a freshman in college for one and a half years. One and a half years is all he had with these guys. Then Jack, same thing, became a chaplain in the Air Force, and again, thousands of people came to know Christ. They came together one time for a reunion, and they were sharing about Steve and, and just the, the impact that he had made on their lives, and they counted it up, and five continents had been, uh, the gospel had gone to five continents as a result of these guys reaching out to one person at a time. Yeah, they were pastors. Yeah, they were in ministry, but I know all three of these guys from knowing the story, they were doing discipleship. That's what they were doing. They were doing evangelistic discipleship. And so the Lord can use your life. If the worship team wants to come up, I will close in prayer. If the prayer team also wants to come up, if you, need any, uh, if you would like prayer or need prayer about this topic or any other topic, please come up. But um, worship team, if you could come up as I close in prayer. Lord, I pray that we would offer ourselves up as living sacrifices to you, knowing that this is our spiritual act of worship. And I pray that we would see your call to the Great Commission as, a, as an act of obedience. And Lord, that we, would, that we would do it with joy. 1 John 5.3 is one of my favorite verses. It says, this is love for, a God, for God that you obey my commands and they are not burdensome. I pray that we would disciple others, that we would evangelize others. We would do that and it would be a joy and not a burden. And I pray that every person in this church would be discipling another person. Within the coming year, I'd love to pray that. We'd love to believe you for big things. Would you give them courage? Lord, would you give them courage? And um, yeah, so Lord, in the, in the last few moments we hear, half year of just worshiping, Lord, would you impress upon our hearts and solidify things you want us to walk away with today? All for your glory and your honor, and we pray these things in your name.